Thank you, choir and orchestra. I suppose that all of us would like our names to be preserved. Something that says we were here, that we lived, that sometime in the future someone would see our name and wonder maybe who we were. Because of that, we carve our names into trees, we paint them on walls, we write them in the hymnals, and y'all stop doing that. <laughs> there are some who have their names on buildings, Carnegie Hall, the Chrysler Building, the Coger Center, and so forth. In fact, as I think about it, possibly if someone had a couple million dollars they wanted to give, your name could be on the why that we are remodeling. <laughs> it's just a thought. I haven't talked to anyone about it, but it would look good, wouldn't it? Your name up there. There'll be someone to talk to you after the service is over. <laughs> I enjoy reading tombstones. I see the names that are there and maybe a verse of scripture that is, that is inscribed, and I wonder who was that person? What kind of person was that? Well, today I'm going to continue looking in the book of Romans. I told you that I had recently read through Paul's letter to the church in Rome in my devotional time and chapter 14 that we looked at last week had interest to me and chapter 16 appeared interesting to me. In chapters 1 through 15 Paul is dealing with some deep theological issues. It is a very difficult book because of the theological issues that are dealt with. But in chapter 16, he lists some names, 33 names. There are 24 of them from Rome, 17 men and 7 women. There are 9 of them from Corinth, 8 men and 1 woman. And I want us to look at those today. Now let me say this as a caveat because I understand. If you are not a curious person, this may be the boringest sermon you've ever heard. I know that that would take some doing, but this may be the boringest sermon you have heard if you're not really curious about these things. But we're going to look at it anyway because it's in the Bible. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now Paul begins this chapter by saying to the church that we are to receive one another or we are to greet one another. The one another in the Bible that is most often used is love one another. It is used nine times. The second most often one another in the Bible is greet one another with a holy kiss. It is used five times for by the Apostle Paul. Now greeting with a kiss was an ancient greeting and we still see that it is used today especially in the Middle East culture. They still greet each other with a kiss. Friends will greet each other with a kiss on both cheeks. A rabbi will be greeted with a kiss as a show of respect. 
So that greeting then was adopted by the early church, except they added to it holy kiss. You see in verse number 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. So by the second, third centuries, this was an acceptable greeting. This was the common greeting of the people of God in the church. They would greet each other with a holy kiss. Now today we shake hands, we hug each other, we fist bump, high five, whatever it is. I've had all of them this morning before the service started because we greet each other in a different way today. Now then Paul tells us that we are to greet one another. In the church we are to greet one another. We are to welcome one another, receive one another. And then he mentions some people. He mentions Phoebe in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea. Herschel Hobbes wrote, evidently she was the bearer of the letter. And this note was Paul's way of commending her and showing that the letter was genuine and not a forgery. Hobbes goes on and says the word commend translates a Greek verb meaning to place together, to recommend to favorable attention, to vouch for. Now we really don't know anything else about this woman. This is what we know is what is here. The Bible says that she was a servant in the church. Now there are some, some uh, translations of the Bible that says she was a deaconess. Does that mean then that she held that office in the early church? To be honest with you, in all probability, no. Barclay wrote, women must have played a big part in the life and work of the church, but they did not at that time hold any official position. Hobbes wrote, she tended the poor and sick, assisted in women's baptism, ministered to women members, provided hospitality for traveling Christians. So the Bible then says that she was a servant, that she had a position of service in the church, says she was from Sincrea. Sincrea is about nine miles to the east of Corinth. But then Paul says in verse number two that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Sometimes we have to be reminded to be friendly, don't we? We ought not, but we do. Sometimes we have to be reminded that we are to welcome people, we are to receive people, that we are to be friendly. That's one of the things I love about this church. This is a friendly church. It is a welcoming church. When I first came here, I remember we were in Boyce Chapel there was an older couple, and they always sat over to my right, about five rows back, always sat in the same pew. One Sunday morning, I'm sitting up on the platform. The service is early. It has just started. And I see a family come in and sit in that pew. And I think to myself, this is going to be interesting. And so I just watch. See, I, sometimes I'm having a good time up here watching you. I know that you watch Steve and have a good time, but I watch you and have a good time. But I just watched. Then this family came in and they sat down, and then sure enough, this 
elderly couple came in. They walked there to the pew and they looked at them. And I could see that they were talking to them and they, that's my pew. And so they got up and didn't move to another pew. They walked out the door. I don't think they ever came back. Sometimes we have to be reminded to be friendly, to receive her. That's what Paul says. I know you don't know who she is. She is not one that you normally know, but receive her. And then he said, and help her in verse number two, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Phoebe was believed to have been a wealthy woman and she helped other Christians. Paul is now saying to this church where she has shown up, you help her. She has helped other Christians, you help her. It is believed by some that she was a businesswoman and, was, and had come to establish a business and Paul is saying you are to help her in that. So there's Phoebe. Then there's Prisca and Aquila, verse number three. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now you're probably familiar with this couple, Prisca and Aquila, or, or Priscilla and Aquila. The first time we see them is in Acts chapter 18, where they are said to be tent makers. Apparently they were victims of anti-Semitism. Claudius had banished the Jews from Rome and they left Rome with Paul and went to Corinth and then they went to Ephesus. We know that they ministered to the apostles because when Apollos came to their home in Ephesus, they took him in, they received him, they ministered to him and they instructed him in the ways of God. We also know that they established churches because the next time we see them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, and Paul mentions the church that is in their house. So apparently they were people, wherever they were, they would gather together the believers, they would gather together the people of God, and so they had established a house church there. The next time we see them, they are back in Rome. Claudius' banishment of the Jews had not been effective, so the Jews were allowed to return. They came back to Rome. There they began their businesses, or they went back to their businesses, and they went back to their homes. The last time they are mentioned is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. They are back in Ephesus again. Now there's some interesting speculation about Priscilla and Aquila. Barclay wrote, it is an odd thing that in four out of the six mentions of this pair in the New Testament, Prisca is named before her husband. There is just the possibility that this is because Prisca was not a freed woman at all, but a great lady, a member by birth of the Asilian family. It may be that at some meeting of the Christians, this great Roman lady met Aquila, the humble Jewish tent maker, and the two fell in love. 
Now, some of you will like that story. Is it true? I don't know, but it's a, it's a good possibility. Then there's Eponidas and Mary in verse number five. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Eponidas was the first person that Paul led to faith in Christ in Asia. I don't think you ever forget the first person you led to Christ. If you have done that, you will never forget it. Denny Tatum was the first person I led to Christ. Denny was a cameraman at the television station where I worked and God had gotten hold of my heart and I just wanted to share Jesus with everyone. So that's, Denny was one that I talked with. He came to my house one night, I told you the story. But he came to my house one night and I was talking to him about Jesus. I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't been through any of the training. You know, they tell you you have to go through all the soul winning training and all those things to be able to lead someone to Christ. You need to know the Roman road or you need to know this or that. I didn't know any of that. All I knew is that I loved Jesus and I wanted others to love Jesus as well. And so I talked to Denny and, and I could tell that he was interested in becoming a, a Christian, but I didn't know how to do it. So I called John Basson, who was late at night, probably midnight, got him out of bed. I said, John, I'm here with Denny and, and he wants to be a Christian. He said, well, that's wonderful. I said, but I don't know how to do that. And he said, well, does he know that he has sinned? I said, I don't know, let me ask him. I said, I'm holding the phone. I said, Denny, have you ever sinned? He said, yes, I've sinned. I said, yeah, he sinned. <laughs> he said, is he willing to repent of his sin? And I said, Denny, are you willing to repent of your sin? He said, yes, I am. I said, yeah, he's willing to repent. <laughs> I mean, that's the honest truth. And we went through the whole thing and and. There I led him in a prayer, first person I ever led to Christ. I'll never forget him. I don't know where he is, don't know anything about it. Now I'll see him one day. But see, this is the person that Paul first led to Christ in Asia. And so this was a special person to him. He mentions Mary, we don't know anything else about her. She was a hard worker. That's all we know about her. Then there's Andronicus and Junius in verse number 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. And my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, he mentions them as being my kinsmen. They probably were not relatives of the apostle Paul, but kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, they probably were fellow Jews. That's probably the reference here. He said, they are my fellow prisoners. They also were in prison for the gospel of Christ because of their commitment to him, but they were respected by the disciples. They lived a life that gave them respect from the disciples. Then there's Ampliatus in verse number eight. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Barclay wrote in the cemetery of Domitilla, which is the earliest of the Christian catacombs, there is a decorated tomb with the single name Ampliatus carved on it in bold and decorative lettering. The fact that the single name Ampliatus alone is carved on this tomb would indicate that this Ampliatus was a slave. But the elaborate tomb and bold lettering would indicate that he was a man of high rank in the church. 
The distinctions of rank were so completely wiped out that it was possible for a man at one and the same time to be a slave and a prince of the church. Isn't that a wonderful history? That's one of the things that I love about the church. Someone the world would consider no one can be a prince in the church of God. I read that and as I read it I was thinking, to be honest, I was thinking about Tim Eberhart. Tim, gone to be with the Lord, member of our church. He had no high standing as far as the world was concerned. But the highest award we give in our Awanas ministry is the Tim Eberhart Award. I think that is a marvelous statement concerning the church. That a slave can become a leader. That anyone can become someone in the church if they're committed to Christ. Then there's Urbanus and Statius in verse number 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. Urbanus means city bread. Statius means ear of corn. What it is saying is that one was from the city, one was from the country. And that is something else that I love, especially about this church. We have people from the city. We have people from the country. I'm one of them. We have people who are wealthy. We have people who are poor. We have people who have PhDs and we have people who have GEDs. But we can all be the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's Apelles in verse number 10. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Now, when I read that, I think, now, boy, what a great epitaph for, to put on your cemetery tomb. The approved in Christ. That's all we know about him. Then there's the house of Aristobulus in verse number 10b. He continues, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was possibly the grandson of Herod the Great. He lived a private life, but he was a close friend of the emperor Claudius. When he died, Aristobulus died, his servants then would be rolled into the kingdom, but they would be known as the household of Aristobulus. So the people referred to here probably were the servants of Aristobulus who had become followers of Jesus Christ. He mentions Herodian in verse number 11, greet Herodian, my kinsman. This is probably a part of the household of Aristobulus or Narcissus. In verse number 11, he continues... Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Interesting story concerning Narcissus. He, he probably was the private secretary, the personal secretary of Claudius, the emperor Claudius. He amassed a fortune in that position, over $6 million. Now how did he do that? He did it by charging large bribes. If you wanted to get your message to the emperor, you went through him and he charged you for it. 
So he amassed a mass fortune as personal secretary to, to the emperor by making sure that people's requests reached the emperor. Claudius, however, was murdered. Nero came to the throne and Narcissus was forced to commit suicide and his fortune went to Nero. The household of Narcissus would be those people who were servants to him. They were servants to this man and now they had become followers of Christ. Then there's Tryphena and Tryphosa in verse number 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa uh, workers in the Lord. These probably were twin sisters. The name Tryphena means dainty. The word Tryphosa means delicate. Now here's dainty and delicate. Paul had to smile when he wrote this. Here's dainty and delicate who are hard workers. I mean, there's nothing dainty or delicate about their work. He said they are hard workers in the Lord, dainty and delicate. He mentions Persis in verse number 12 as he continues to greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Now, the one thing that you would notice here is that this is in past tense, who has worked hard in the work of the Lord. Probably this is a person, a woman who was older. She is no longer able to do what she once did, but she is still treasured. We have a lot of those people in our church, don't we? People who are no longer able to attend, people who at one time worked hard in the church and now they can't, but they are still treasured because of their ministry. That was Persis. There's Rufus in verse number 13. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine, the word Rufus means redhead. Interesting possibilities concerning him. It is believed generally that he was the son of the man who carried the cross of Jesus. Because the Bible says in Mark 15, 21, and they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country of Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So it is believed that his father was the one who carried the cross. His brother Alexander was the one who stood for Paul when he was about to be stoned by the mob in Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 19, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. And apparently Paul had spent time in their home when he was younger, probably before he became a Christian, so he had a relationship with them. In verse 14, he mentions the brethren... These are probably members of a house church. And then he mentions another household in verse 15. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. The name Philologus means lover of the word. That's a good name too. Someone who loved the word, lover of the word. Nerus is an interesting story. In 95 AD, there was an event that shook the Roman Empire. Two of its most prominent citizens were condemned as being Christians, Flavius Clemens and his wife Domitilla. Their children were to be the successors to the emperor. He was executed, she was exiled, but their service name was Nerus, possibly this Nerus. 
might have been that as a Christian servant to this powerful family, that they were the ones who led them to faith in Christ. Paul begins with these friends and then he mentions some foes that we are to avoid because not everyone in the church is a friend. In verse 17, we see the dissidents. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. There are some in the church who sow seeds of discord. I, I was talking once to a former member of our church and he was telling me with a certain amount of satisfaction about running the pastor off in another church where he had attended. He said, I went to his office to see him and he was sitting there with his hair disheveled. He didn't have his teeth in and he had his uh, head in his hands and he sort of chuckled. And I thought, how ungodly. How ungodly that anyone takes pleasure in causing division within the church of Christ. These disrupted the fellowship through doctrinal division. He says, contrary to the teaching which you learned. This could be a reference to Judaizers who taught that you had to keep the law to be saved. It could be a reference to the Gnostics who denied the deity of Jesus. But here is their motive in verse 18. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Their interest was not in building the kingdom of God. Their interest was in their own interest. So Paul says, turn away from them. Those people who cause division within the body of Christ, who cause division within the church of the Lord, we ought to have nothing to do with. He says, turn away from them. Now Paul concludes, and I'll do this quickly because we will be on time. He concludes by mentioning some faithful servants. Timothy and his kinsmen, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman. Timothy was his son in the ministry, according to Philippians. No one knew the heart of Paul as well as did Timothy. Lucius might have been one of the prophets of Antioch who sent Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. Barclay says of Jason, Jason may be the Jason who gave Paul hospitality at Thessalonica and suffered for it at the hands of the mob and Sosipater took the church's collection to Jerusalem with Paul. He mentions Tertius and Quartus in verse 22. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greet you and Quartus, the brother. Tertius and Quartus were probably slave brothers. It was not unusual at that time in a slave family that the child was named according to their birth order. Tertius meant third, be the third child that was born. Quartus means fourth, be the fourth child that was born. But Tertius was the scribe, the one who actually penned this letter of Paul, and Paul seldom gives that information, but he did in this case. Gaius, Paul baptized him in Corinth, and then Erastus. 
Hobbes says Erastus is identified as the chamberlain of the city. Chamberlain translates a Greek word meaning house manager. He was probably the city administrator or city manager. A marble paving block dated about A.D. 50 to 100 has been discovered in old Corinth bearing the inscription Erastus, commissioner for public works, laid this pavement at his own expense. Now let me conclude. Like I said, I don't know about your interest. When I read people's names, I wonder who they are. And I hope that you have some curiosity about it as well. But here's the thing that I would leave you with. We are all friends or foes of the gospel. You are a friend of the gospel or you are a foe to the gospel. Now I can't answer which you are. You'll have to do that. But the second thing I would conclude with is this. One day your life will be summed up in one or two sentences. What will it say? One day someone will be trying to decide what to put on your tombstone that represents your life. What will it say? These people had their lives summarized, some of them interesting and had rich lives, but their life was summarized in this chapter. Yours will be summarized as well. Folks, the way we live our lives and what is priority to us is going to be the summation of our lives one day. What will it be? Depends on what you do. Our Father, we come to a time of invitation as we consider our lives, the way we live, our commitments. And Lord, I just want to pray for every person here, young, old, middle-aged, knowing that life is short and it's uncertain and that one day our lives will be summarized in one or two sentences. Be with those who have never trusted Christ that they might. Those who should come be a part of this, this church family, that they would. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir will sing. As the choir sings, I encourage you to come to trust Christ, to join the church. We'd love to have you.